Hello and welcome. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for taking time in your busy life and your busy day. And we will do our best to make sure that it's well worth your time investment. So my name is Peter Goldstein and I'm founder at We Did It That Health. And our mission here is to support support grassroots ambassadors like yourself in inspiring hopeful curiosity in our friends and loved ones to help them shift their lifestyle to become plant-based because we know all the amazing benefits of being plant-based. So that's our work and please join us at We Did It That Health. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel and we're now on podcasts also. Um, so please join us, welcome, and I will not take any longer here to introduce uh, Dr. Salish Rao. And of course, most most people have heard of him and he's been doing an amazing job uh, talking about climate healing and how a plant-based lifestyle is the solution for all the problems with, with climate. So from the perspective of climate healing, uh, let's welcome Dr. Salish Rao and he's going to tell us all about uh, what's going on with the climate, what the solutions are, how to prevent the climate deterioration, and most important, how we can inspire our friends and loved ones to hopeful curiosity for a plant-based lifestyle. So with that, welcome Dr. Rao. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you for all the good work that you do at www.health. Thank you. Yeah, I'm honored. Thank you so much. Yes. Did you want me to just go straight into the presentation? And, well, uh, uh, you know about... what? If you'd like to tell everybody a little bit in general about what you've been, what you're doing, I know that you're traveling the world. You've done a tremendous amount of work in India these days. You've launched a a, a new documentary that's been so amazingly well received. Uh, please, please tell everybody about that. Yeah, so it's been a great journey, and uh, this. Uh, we've, we've released a documentary called The Land of Ahimsa, which is now available on Unchained TV. And I did a tour about that last year uh, with Dolly Vyasa the producer, and, uh, and some activists. And basically, uh, The Land of Ahimsa is helping Indians, inspiring Indians to take on the role, uh, the leadership role. And I will explain to you in my presentation why I feel India should be taking the role leadership role in creating a climate healing civilization. Uh, and, uh, and I went back again recently to, uh, to talk at the Vegan Forest Festival. And there's a new documentary called the uh, Maka Dood, which literally translates to mother's milk. And it's about the dairy industry in India because dairy is the big problem in India. And, uh, and it basically exposed the dairy industry uh, thoroughly. And so anyone who watches that movie is basically at the end of that, they have no questions. You know, they're, they're saying, well, I'm going vegan. And it's, so it's become like a great magnet for the vegan movement, uh, encouraging people to go vegan. So I, if people have any doubts about dairy, please watch Mother's Milk and it's available on YouTube, uh, Maka Dood. Uh, and you will see, especially Indians, you know, I'm telling them, please watch it. And you will see that there is no choice, but we have to go vegan. Uh, so that, uh, that has been a great 
um, introduct you know addition to our arsenal for for helping people uh, inspiring people to change because ultimately we have a choice and i'm going to start showing my presentation now you know basically we have a choice of whether we want to heat the climate or heal the climate so i use this steering wheel metaphor so we've all been given a steering wheel and we have tremendous power with the steering wheel we can choose to uh, heat or we can choose to heal and it is that uh, any steering wheel comes with responsibilities okay and accountability for what you're doing with it and right now a lot of us are stuck in the heat mode because because of the system that we are in and i'm going to show you how can we transform that to a heal mode and how do we then all collaborate to heal the climate so that to me is the, should be the focus of uh, uh, of earth day and earth month you know basically how do we transform from heating to healing and i'll show you why i feel that uh, animal agriculture is at the core of it so um so i mean my journey started in uh, uh, 2005 when i saw algo's presentation on tv and by 2009 i was probably one of the most depressed environmentalists on the planet because i i thought that we are the only species that doesn't belong on earth that every other species just lives and the planet thrives and we are the only species that just lives and the planet dies so i thought human beings were the, were an ecological mistake right and it was in this sanctuary in the western ghats of india that i had this uh, epiphany that we don't belong on earth because this sanctuary was uh, started by a couple from new jersey who went to india bought a coffee plantation tore down the fences and gave it back to the animals and the animals basically created this sanctuary uh, this beautiful uh, ecosystem and so i asked pamela the owner i mean how did you make this happen it was just the animals and she said no i also had to patrol the land and make sure that no human being comes inside and that's when i felt like we are the one species that doesn't belong on earth and i felt really really small as as a human being because i i was born in this forest i feel like i felt like i didn't even belong in my own home you know and so uh so i had that sense of depression and and then i saw this elephant who was breaking branches of trees eating the leaves and throwing the branch away and and i asked pamela isn't that elephant destroying a sanctuary shouldn't you stop that and she said no wherever the elephant break uh, breaks branches of trees that's where the sunlight streams to nourish the underbrush wherever the elephant you know um uh trampled on bushes in the forest that's where new pathways are formed so the elephant has no choice but to belong in nature exactly as she is and i said wow you know i mean everything the elephant does has an impact on the ecosystem and it helps the ecosystem but we are the only ones who routinely destroy the ecosystems so that again you know got me confused and then the next year my granddaughter was born and she literally transformed my life when she was born she uh so i'm showing a picture of me holding her when she was a month old and you know she has uh three continents in her she is half indian one quarter african american one quarter american indian and i saw all humanity as if i was holding all humanity in my arms and she looked at me and she had this knowing smile as if she was saying what do you mean i don't belong i belong exactly as i am and you haven't understood me yet so that's when it hit me you know because i'm a systems engineer 
And in systems engineering, we know that the real product of genuine systems analysis is not uh, solutions, it's actually understanding. And this is what William Ophuls had written in his book. And so he is one of the um, top systems engineers on the planet. Anyway, he had said that. And so that hit me. Yes, we belong exactly as we are, and we are not telling the right story. We haven't understood. Just like I didn't understand the elephant, I haven't understood humanity yet. So then I started looking back and looking at all of the scientific literature from that new lens that we belong exactly as we are. And you know what? Everything started making sense. So I'm going to uh, say that, you know, if you, if, because I was focusing on climate change, I was looking at, at CO2 emissions. And CO2 emissions, we know right now a lot of the CO2 emissions is coming from fossil fuels, at least the way it's been accounted for in the IPCC. And land use change is at the bottom, and it's not that big. It's about 10 15% or so of the total. So this is why people are focusing on fossil fuels. But we also know, and the even IPCC also tells us that uh, um, CO2 is a cumulative greenhouse gas. So you have to look at the total that has been emitted. And they even say that once you put CO2 into the atmosphere, it stays there for tens of thousands of years. You know, 20% of it will stay for tens of thousands of years. And so, when you, but the accounting for the UNIPCC always starts from 1850 or 1750 or somewhere in that region. And if you look at the, uh, the left-hand side of it, you'll see that 1850, it's, it was land use change. Was, that was a leading cause, okay? And why did we stop at 1850? If CO2, once you put into the atmosphere, stays for thousands of years, you should be looking at all the CO2 emissions that we have done over thousands of years. So uh, that led me down this rabbit hole, right? So and I started seeing what was going on. And... So, and in 1850, we know that land use change was the leading cause. And then again, if you integrate from 1850 to present time, land use change is actually second to coal. It's not something insignificant. Okay, coal is uh, number one, land use change is number two, and then comes oil and then gas and then cement if you integrate. So that's what is really causing climate change. But this is also starting from 1850. Once you start from 10,000 years back, it turns out the land use change is bigger than all fossil fuels combined by almost a factor of two. Okay, So that's the estimate. So that means that we have been changing the climate for thousands of years. And then you look back and you see um, the temperature of the earth over the last 10,000, I mean, uh, last uh, 650,000 years, you'll see that the earth has gone through so many ice ages and warm periods between the ice age. So the white line is here is the temperature and the difference between the high point and the low point is about 10 degrees Celsius. So it's huge. There have been huge variations in temperature over the last uh, 3 million years. And during that time is when human beings respond. Okay. And we were given control of fire about 500,000 years ago. And uh, 50,000 years ago, we were given uh, partnership with wolves. So we became, I mean, they became our dogs. So we domesticated animals. And with wolves, we migrated out of Africa and went to every part of the globe. So we were one family. I think of it as one family in Africa that spread throughout the world. And what did we spread throughout the world for? Well, you will see that on the right-hand side, you will see the temperature at present time. And you see that it looks exactly like the warm period that happened three ice ages ago. Okay? 
except instead of going back to another ice age again, the temperature seemed to have taken a wiggle and then went up. So if you look closely at what happened there, you will see that uh, the CO2 levels in the atmosphere matched what was happening three ice ages ago until about 5,000, 6,000 years ago, and then it takes off. And this is what William Rudiman wrote in his book okay, in 2014. So how did we heat the climate? By just burning down forests, land use change, okay? mainly for animal agriculture. And, and methane also started going up about 5,000, 4,000 years ago. And it, until then, it matched what was happening three ice ages ago. Okay. So this present warm period looked like the warm period that happened three ice ages ago until human beings took over the climate. So we started heating the climate. Heating the climate is easy. Any fool can do it. You just burn down things, you know, and you'll heat the climate. Uh, you burn anything that burns and you'll heat the climate. And that's what we've been doing. Okay? We've been burning like crazy. Now, healing the climate is a different problem altogether. Okay? So, so now we have this dichotomy, right? We have to decide what we want to do. So if you look at the temperature of the Earth, uh, it came out of an ice age about 10,000 years ago. It went over the glaciation threshold. This, by the way, is also a graph from William Radman's book. Okay? And, and so uh, it went over the glaciation threshold about 10,000 years ago, and then it reached a peak about, uh, about 8,000 or 9,000 years ago. And then it would have gone back to another ice age 5,000 years ago. Instead, because we heated up the climate, we, our ancestors kept the temperature constant. So we have been a climate harmonizing species of the planet that maintains the temperature on Earth. Okay? We did that until about 200 years ago, and then we cranked it up a notch by burning fossil fuels. And in the process, we created all the tools and technologies we need to understand what we have been doing. And now we have to become a conscious climate healing and climate harmonizing species of the planet. That's our role. That's what our ancestors have been doing all along. So I think of uh, humanity as been running a marathon, okay, and a climate heating marathon until now. And now we have to take a U-turn and become a climate healing species and a climate harmonizing species. Or if we continue heating, we are going to go into extinction. So, so that's the choice we face today. Do we want to become a conscious climate healing species and a climate harmonizing species? Or do we continue being a climate heating species and kill ourselves off? And I know which way I'm going. <laughs> and the solution is in land use. Okay, Land use has caused much more CO2 emissions than fossil fuels so far, which means that if you restore the land back to its original uh, pristine conditions, you can reverse climate change. You can reverse biodiversity loss. You can reverse all of our ecological problems. So that, to me, should be the focus of Earth Day and what we are doing uh, to the planet. And that's, so that requires us to transform our games and transform what we are doing, our civilization and our lifestyles. So, and you can see land use. This is, used to be a blue-green planet. We call ourselves a blue-green planet. And now, if you look at the satellite pictures, it's a, got a brown midriff, right? So this these the desert that starts at the western edge of Africa goes all the way into India and becomes the um, Thar Desert and goes all the way into China and becomes the Glo Gobi Desert. Okay, and and then there are deserts being formed now. You know, in other places you can see in Australia and North America and South America and in the in the South Africa and so on. You can see deserts being formed, and that is all from grazing lands. 
So if you look at the land use, and this is straight from the IPCC's uh, report, you will see, and I just took the IPCC's numbers and put it into a map, okay? So if you take all the land that we are currently using for growing our plant-based foods, and that's providing 85% of the food we eat in terms of total weight, and if you take all that land and put it in one spot, it'll fit inside Australia. So about 7% of the land area of the planet, okay? If you take all the land that we're using to grow our animal foods and put it in one spot, it'll cover all of Europe, most of Asia, and a little bit of Africa, this red blotch. And that's only providing us with 12% of the food we eat. And deserts are another 20% of the land area of the planet. And that to me is also the cause of, I mean, the result of animal agriculture, a lot of the deserts. And I can see the deserts being formed today because of animal agriculture. If you take all the built land, all the uh, cities and highways and railroads and put it in one spot, it will fit inside Madagascar, a little bit more than Madagascar. It's about 1% of the land area of the planet. So biofuels are the bottom half of South Africa, I mean, of Africa. And then if you take all the land that we're using for timber and um, managed, so-called managed forests, this is basically monocultures of trees that we uh, farm for our purposes. And wild animals cannot live there, okay? And hardly any would live there because it's not an ecosystem for them. And that will cover all of North America, all of Central America, and a little bit of South America. And so original forests are only 9% of the land area of the planet, and that's the bottom half of South America. So that's how we are using land. We pretty much have taken over the entire planet for ourselves, okay? And leaving very little room for wild animals and, and, and basically for what? so that we can have this much, 12% of the food we get from animals, that's making us sick. And the remaining 3% of the food we take from the ocean for which we have been destroying the entire ocean. So basically we've been mismanaging the planet, you know, but that's for heating the climate. We've been managing it for heating the climate. And if you look at the carbon dioxide on land, carbon dioxide on land, there is three times as much carbon dioxide on land as there is in the atmosphere. And the atmosphere, we are saying, has 30 to 40% more carbon dioxide than it needs to. Okay, So if you want to heal the climate, you need to reduce the CO2 by 30 to 40% in the atmosphere. Well, that means that you have to increase the, land, the CO2 on land by about 10% if you want to reverse climate change. And 98% of the CO2 on land is in this white region. Okay, And there are 3 trillion trees there. And there are 3 trillion trees missing in this land that's currently being used for animal agriculture. And that's only providing us with 2% of the carbon dioxide on land. So all we have to do is bring back the ecosystems of the planet on this land. And you can take a little bit of extra room for our um, additional plant foods because you need another 15% of plant foods to create a vegan world. So I'm saying vegan, once we determine that we want to heal ourselves and heal the planet, uh, and heal the climate, we know what to do. This is not a complicated thing to understand, right? Just bring back the ecosystems on that land, stop eating animals, and treat animals as, as if they belong on Earth with us, because they do. Without them, we, we, we don't have a future on this planet. This is why I say animal agriculture is the leading cause of climate change and is responsible for at least 87% of greenhouse gas emissions on an annual basis. 
And what I mean by that is that every day we eat animals is a day that we are choosing not to restore the ecosystems of the planet. And if we all decided to go vegan, that land will sequester so much extra CO2. So the opportunity cost of using that land for animal agriculture, to me, is the major component that brings that number up to 87%. And the planet is literally dying, right, because of what we're doing to the animals and to the ecosystems. Uh, between 1970 and 2010, we wiped out 52% of wild animals. And that became 58% by 2012 and 68% by 2016. And so it's on track to hit 100% by 2026. And this is why I made a promise to my granddaughter that we will get to a vegan world by 2026, because we have no choice. We cannot kill the planet off and expect to thrive. And there are several tipping points in the climate that's also pointing us in the right direction, telling us to, uh, telling us that 2026 is probably the limit by which we have to change our civilization to a climate healing civilization. Okay, so the first step in making a transformation like that is to first agree that we all have to make a transformation, that we cannot continue doing what we're doing. Okay, so uh, there are six tipping points in the climate that are under less than uh, two degrees Celsius. So that's the Greenland ice sheet. So all the orange dots here have been identified as tipping points in the climate. So once you let a tipping point go the other way, then it's almost impossible to pull it back. So it becomes really hard to pull it back. And this is why it's important for us to make our transformation very quickly. Now, Gus Pet, you know, said uh, 10 years ago or so that I used to think that the top environmental problems are biodiversity loss, ecosystems collapse, and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address these problems. But I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with those, we need a spiritual and cultural transformations. And we scientists don't know how to do that, okay? Now, he's a scientist and I'm an engineer. Engineers look at, I mean, we look at solutions. How do we solve problems, right? So, and I looked at selfishness, greed, and apathy, and I said, is this fundamental to human nature or is this systemic? And I'm a systems engineer. And sure enough, I found it's systemic. We have created a system because we create systems as human beings by playing games and telling stories, right? So we are telling the story of separation from nature and we are playing a game of money that has selfishness, greed, and apathy built in. Meaning if you are selfish, greedy, and apathetic, you will get rewarded in the game pretty much, right? So that's the, the kind of game we are playing. And sure enough, you know, people who are most selfish and most greedy and most apathetic, they bubble up to the top of this game. So I say it's fundamental. It's to the system that we have created because selfishness comes from the false axiom of supremacism that drives our civilization. Uh, because we kind of, an axiom is a truth that we take for granted. So in our civilization, we take for granted the idea that humans are superior to other beings. And within humans, there is a gradation as well. So that axiom, I quote it as, life is a competitive game in which those who have gained an advantage may possess, enslave, and exploit animals, nature, and the disadvantaged for their pursuit of happiness. This is what I call the might is right rule. Okay, And so I identified this axiom in our civilization is driving the selfishness. And then the greed comes from the false axiom of consumerism. 
which is that the pursuit of happiness is best accomplished by stoking and satisfying a never-ending series of latent desires. This is why corporations are constantly telling us, come and buy my stuff and it'll make you happy. This is what I call the greed is good rule. And it leads to an infinite consumption model. Okay, And if you have an infinite consumption model, the planet is going to die. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? If everyone is trying to consume an infinite amount of stuff, they're going to kill the planet. So that's what I call the greed is good rule. And the thing is, there is not a single religion on the planet that tells us that might is right and greed is good is the right way to live. And yet we have a civilization built on these two things. And finally, the apathy comes from the false axiom of global hunger, that the entire global economy will grind to a halt without a significant portion of humanity, roughly about 10%, being chronically hungry is what I call the industrial worker rule. This is why there are 800 million people going hungry today, even though there is plenty of food on the planet. So we have systematically, in a way, systematically in, included hunger in our game. Yeah. And, and the apathy comes from the fact that we are not addressing this hunger, even though we know there's plenty of food on the planet. And everyone is pretending to do it. Okay. So we have built two machines that drive these two, these, the civilization. And so I can put all human activities into one of these two machines. There's a burning machine, which is basically implements the false axiom of consumerism. And it's all about providing us goods and services so that we can consume, 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 and look for happiness outside. And then there's the killing machine, which is mainly about the false axiom of supremacism in which we are killing like all these animals and we even kill people, we sicken people and kill them off. And, and this killing machine is also a huge part of our economy. So all of human activities can be put into one of these two machines. And you say, how, you know, how did we get away with this for so long? How did, how did we not see this? And there is a lot of deception in the system. So the climate heating system is built on deception, on domination, and death, disease, and destruction. Domination of others, death for the animals, diseases for human beings, and destruction for the planet. Okay. And it all starts with deception. So we have we are conning ourselves into doing this. And uh, uh, you know the picture I show in the back here is a satellite picture of how Amazon is being deforested. And you will see clumps of green in the deforestation because there is a convention in science that any one kilometer by one kilometer grid that is greater than 10% tree cover is still classified as a forest. So we start deforesting like this and we pretend we haven't deforested. Okay? That's part of the game we're playing. Uh, is it any wonder that wild animals are dying off? And there are four deadly dietary deceptions that, that Dr. John McDougall uh, talks about and he has it on his website. The protein deception, the calcium deception, the omega-3 deception, the starch deception. So please look up his website and you'll see more about these deceptions. I'm sure the grassroots ambassadors know about these four deadly dietary deceptions. In the same way, there are six deadly climate deceptions that I've been writing about. There is a narrow timeline deception. I just briefly explained that before. There is a methane averaging deception that, that all these deceptions are designed to reduce the so-called impact of animal agriculture and increase the impact of fossil fuels so that we are all looking in the wrong direction. We don't look at the cow in the room. 
Third is the airborne fraction deception, then the natural cycle deception, and then the opportunity cost deception and the opportunity benefit deception. So these are six deadly climate deceptions that, that systematically reduce the impact of animal agriculture in our calculations. Not in reality, just in calculations. Okay. So I created a climate bathtub model to un help people understand how to actually solve climate change. Because in any systems engineering problem that I've uh, ever dealt with, the first thing I do is to write, to create a model that helps me understand the solution space. So that's what I did with this. All the numbers here correspond to what's happening in the atmosphere. And I'm still using the same conventions that the UN IPCC uses. So I haven't really overcome the deceptions in my model. Okay. If I change it, it's not going to change the solutions much, but, uh, but the numbers will look different if, uh, if we get rid of those deceptions. Anyway, using their own accounting, I'll, I'm going to show you that they're also telling us to address the killing machine first if we solve the problem accurately, okay? So uh, in the bathtub model, there are there's a baby sitting in a bathtub and the bathtub has a thousand liters of water and that corresponds to the thousand billion tons of CO2 that we have added to the atmosphere. So the bathtub represents the atmosphere and uh, the water represents the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, or the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And the bathtub is filling up with two faucets. The burning machine faucet is pouring 35 liters per minute into the bathtub. That corresponds to the 35 billion tons of CO2 equivalent that we pour into the atmosphere from the burning machine. And the killing machine faucet is pouring 15 liters per minute, which corresponds to the 15 billion tons of CO2 equivalent that we pour into the atmosphere from the killing machine, according to UN IPCC conventions. Okay. So then the faucet the burning machine faucet is connected to the drain, of, I mean, to the aerosol tank. And that aerosol tank has 350 liters of water. So this is a cooling gas. I mean, basically, when we burn fossil fuels, not only are we putting warming gases like CO2, we're also putting cooling gases like SO2, sulfur dioxide. And they only stay in the atmosphere for a few weeks and they come down. Okay, so that's why there is an aerosol tank and that has 350 liters of water. That corresponds to one third of the heating that's being masked by the cooling gases. This is why 350 liters compared to a thousand liters. Okay, and then the killing machine faucet is connected to the drain of the bathtub so that for every one liter per minute that you turn down the killing machine faucet, it opens the drain and lets two liters per minute flow out of the bathtub into this vegan reforestation tank. So I'm saying the vegan reforestation tank has a capacity of 2,000 liters. That corresponds to the 2,000 billion tons of CO2 that you could be storing on land if we didn't eat animals. And that to me is a, is a lower bound. You know, Right now there is 9 trillion tons, so 9,000 billion tons of CO2 being stored in 3 trillion trees. So if you bring back the other 3 trillion trees, surely we can add another 2,000. Okay, that's my estimate. So that's the setup. And then you ask, how would you save the baby and drain the bathtub? And I'm also saying that the baby will drown if the water level goes up to 1,200 liters. So it's 20% more CO2 than what we have today. I estimate that we are going to reach all these tipping points that you cannot really uh, pull back anymore because there'll be so many tipping points that will be triggered. Okay, so that's the setup. And then you ask, how would you solve this problem? So I did several animations to show you uh, the setup itself. First animation is if you do nothing, what happens? If we do nothing, 
in four minutes, the baby dies because there is 35 liters pouring in from the from the burning machine and 15 liters pouring in from the killing machine. And you will get to 1200 liters in uh, four minutes. Unfortunately, the slide is not moving. So there should be an animation going on here. All right. So um, then if you just turn down the burning machine faucet by 15 liters per minute, the baby dies in 1.4 minutes because it opens up the aerosol tank. Unfortunately, you cannot see the animations, but in the, the slideshow, if you get the slides, you will be able to run the animations and show. So, uh, so now I'll just go through this, you know, and not wait for the animations. So if you just turn down the burning machine faucet by 15 liters per minute, then the, the burning machine faucet will go down to 30, 20 liters per minute. Killing machine will be 15 liters per minute. And 150 liters is going to pour out the aerosol tank into the bathtub. So that's what you will see. I'm going to give these slides to Peter so he can uh, share it with all of you. Then the killing machine, if you only do the killing machine, the baby actually dies in 40 minutes. So, But it still dies because as any plumber will tell you, if you have two faucets pouring water into a bathtub, you need to eventually shut off both faucets. Okay, So that's how you'll solve climate change. You have to turn down the burning machine and you have to turn down the killing machine, both. And so then there's a fourth animation that shows what happens if uh, both of them are on. Finally, the optimum solution. So I have an optimum solution slide that shows you what, what is the uh, most optimum thing to do. And the optimum thing to do shows that you need to turn off the killing machine today, as soon as possible. And then you can you can turn down the burning machine faucet slowly over time. Okay. So this is how you always engineer something. You write a model, then you figure out the solution in the model, and then you implement that solution in real life and check whether the real life matches what the model is trying to tell you. And if it doesn't, then you fix your model. You don't fix reality, you fix your model, right? And re keep iterating. That's how you solve uh, engineering problems. And to me, climate healing is an engineering problem because we have to collaborate among all of us, all 8 billion engineers in order to solve climate change. So the optimum solution requires us to shut down the killing machine today. Then you ask if it takes us five years to shut down the killing machine. So let's say five minutes to turn off the killing machine faucet. Then what happens? It turns out, and in that case, the, ba the baby barely survives. The water level will go up to 1195 liters, and then, uh, and then you can solve the problem. So anyway, I'm sorry that the animations are not showing in this slide presentation, but you will see that in the slides I give Peter. So I said this is our moment of choice, where we have to decide whether we are going to um, stay a caterpillar or are we going to become a butterfly. So we have been put into the chrysalis by COVID-19. COVID-19 was nature telling us, go to your room and think about what you're doing and, and come out think, knowing which way you want to go. And so a lot of us have, have begun to think about what we are doing now, right? So that's what COVID-19 did. So here I am, you know, I've used Wayne Shun's uh, three principles. I say, I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm going to tell that truth without offending people because it's a system problem. It's not, we are all playing roles in a system. And I also tell you that the, so to solve the problem requires us to make sacrifices. So we are going to be changing uh, some of the things that we take for granted okay, in order to solve the problem. So no sacrifice, no gain. 
uh, but we need to be clear about what we want to do. And I also focus on those who are sitting on the fence because there's an old Tamil saying, it's possible to wake up someone who is sleeping, but it's impossible to wake up anyone who is pretending to be asleep. So let those who are pretending to be asleep stay far away and let them be there. Focus on those who are questioning and then get them to come over. And also it requires us to change the entire system. Okay? We have to change the, the system to the correct axioms. And Buckminster Fuller said that very clearly. You can never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And that new model has to be based not on deception, but on honesty. Not on domination, but on humility. And not on death, but on health. And not on disease, but on you know, happiness and harmony. Okay, Not disease and destruction. So... So I say from the five Ds, we go to the five Hs, you know. And it has to be based on the correct axioms, the true axiom of inner peace, which is the pursuit of happiness is best accomplished by seeking it within ourselves. The self-mastery rule or the yoga rule. And that leads to a finite consumption model. Because without a finite consumption model for humanity, you're not going to solve the problem. right? So, uh, so let's admit that, you know, and say that we have to have a true axiom of inner peace with a finite consumption model that's based on yoga and generosity instead of greed, which is the true axiom of unity, that all life is one family where we each bring our unique skills to give all we can, receive all we need, and become all we are, which is what Dr. Shelley Ostrov calls the vitality code. So, and this is ahimsa, a non-violence, a non-harming. So if a new civilization is to be based on yoga and ahimsa, I realize it has to start in India. So this is why I've been working in India closely. And uh, finally, it's activism or accountability. You know, I mean, we are accountable to our fellow human beings who are starving. So I say that free access to healthy, whole food, plant-based, universal vegan meals is a basic human right. And we have a responsibility to give it away, to cook that food and give it away to people. So uh, we have, that's what I call the food healers rule. And food healers is an initiative that we started at Climate Healers to basically cook uh, healthy meals and give it away to people. So that give it away to everyone who's hungry or even not hungry. Because to me, hunger, uh, right now we measure hunger in terms of calories. In reality, hunger is the lack of nutrients. And almost everyone is nutritionally hungry, okay? Um, because they are not eating the right foods at the moment. So it's our responsibility to give it to them. And so Donella Meadows is a systems engineer who told us how do you transform systems? And she had all these 12 leverage points, and they're all on this line like this. So the most effective leverage point is first getting everyone to agree that we need to transform the system. And the second most effective leverage point is to point out that the foundations of the system are wrong. If you can do that, it, then it's easier. So, and I see this as bursting holes in a dam. You know, we all have, um, we are all punching holes in a dam. And the lower you can punch the holes, the foundations of it, then the easier it is for the dam to come uh, to burst. And in the meantime, you have to figure out where the water will flow after the dam bursts. Okay, and that's 
to me, the dam is holding back a sea of compassion. And so we have to figure out how do we channel our compassion? And how do we become a climate healing civilization on the correct axioms? So we have started the Million Vegan Grandmothers Initiative and Tammy Hayes and we've been working on that for a long time. And uh, the the idea behind this Million Vegan Grandmothers is, is to start devolving power to grandmothers and to the feminine among us. Because uh, I really believe that if grandmothers were running the planet, no one would be going hungry. Okay, And to me, that's the foundation of a new civilization where no one goes hungry. I wrote a book called The Pinky Promise, and I've been doing a tour with that. And that's based on what my granddaughter taught me. Uh, and all I had to do was to walk around with her and keep my eyes open. And she taught me all these things. So there are 12 chapters in the book. And each chapter is one step in a transformation. So I've written a preface in the book explaining each chapter and how, to me, um, there was the 12th step of a transformation from a climate heating person to a climate healing person. So she transformed me, and I'm just sharing it with all of you so that you can uh, spread it around and help people transform. So it's 12 short stories about uh, my life with my granddaughter, and each story is one step in the transformation. So you can find that on Amazon, and I'm happy to send out books in boxes if you want. And finally, you know, I want to leave you with uh, these three principles that... Uh, uh, my granddaughter taught me. And again, she did that by taking me to this doc, to this movie called Cinderella. And I thought I would be bored watching the movie. And within a few minutes, I realized <laughs> there are lessons here for me. Uh, because the first thing that Cinderella said that made me sit up and take notice was, have courage, be kind, and all will be well. And I said, that's it. You have to have courage to be kind when everyone else around you is being cruel to something or the other, to whether they're being cruel to animals or to other people. If you, it takes courage for you to step up and say, stop that. Okay, So that's the first step. Have courage, be kind, and all will be well. If all of us are kind to all life, the planet will be fine. We will be in a climate healing mode. And just because it is what is done doesn't mean it's what should be done. This is the second thing that Cinderella said. This is all in the Lily James version of Cinderella. If you go watch that movie, you'll see. And this means that just because we have been eating some way doesn't mean you have to continue eating the same way. Just because we've been doing something all along doesn't mean you have to continue doing it. This is the time for transformation. That's what nature is telling us. Okay, Don't continue doing what you're doing, otherwise I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so now we have to transform. And the third is imagine the world as it should be and act for it. What kind of world do we want? And imagine that and then we will act for that world. So with that, I'm going to stop. Uh, how do I stop? Oh, remove from stream. There you go. Well, thank you. That that was absolutely amazing. We have you have some real fans in in the group here. Um, oh, thank you. One of the most selfless humans I know says Linda Middlesworth. Uh, Thank you. She's, Linda. Coming I, from her, you know, she is one of those two. Thank you, Linda. Yes, and and she she does adore you, as do so many other people. And we're certainly honored to have you here and and 
thank you for sharing this message. Um, what just happened? I'm, am I not here now? No, I'm I can back. see, I can okay. hear you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, on my end, it, it looked like I got lost and we're having a storm, so uh, mm. quite possibly I, I'm having challenges. But so this is absolutely amazing, and your work and and your whole community. I'm you are you have such an amazing community with Tammy and Rebecca and Allison and the the food healers and and the grandmothers uh, showing leadership, showing us all how how we can change, how we need to change, because I think you're you're right. And this is uh, this is nature telling us, giving us a message, telling us it's time for us to wake up and probably even beyond the climate to be kind, to to have a, a whole higher level of consciousness that I think that's that's quite probably part of what's going on here is is we're moving into a new age of consciousness and certainly the work that you're doing and and so many other people including linda are doing is helping us move into this con new consciousness so thank you thank you yeah i mean i see you know uh, as i told you my the pivotal moment in my life was the birth of my granddaughter and uh, and i see her um, as my boss I mean, she's the only one I report to, you know, <laughs> the only uh -huh. one who can, <laughs> I won't listen to anyone else. I'll do my own thing, but with her, I'll do whatever she wants. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, to me, you know, the Pinky Promise book and the Pinky Promise itself, which gave me a timeline. So it did two things for me. It gave me a timeline saying, do it by this date. And then she said, it's your job. <laughs> I'm not going to go yes. talk to someone else. You know, you are it. And so I had to take responsibility for it. And, you know, when you take responsibility for something, okay, and you realize that every one of us has a responsibility, has this responsibility too, that I cannot palm it off on someone else. That it's, it's my responsibility to work on this. And at first I thought, who am I? You know, I mean, I'm just an engineer working on this problem. And But the next morning I woke up realizing that I am a systems engineer. And in any engineering project, like any climate, climate healing is an engineering project. In any engineering project, it's the systems engineer who gets involved first, who has to figure out the system model, who has to figure out how do we really solve this problem, and then show it to all the fellow engineers. And then the fellow engineers will say, okay, we agree with you. We can solve this problem. And what can I do to help you, right? That's how projects happen. And it always begins with a timeline too, you know. If I say whenever, <laughs> no one will really work on it. But if you say 2026, mm -hmm. people put, you know, they say, okay, this is what I can do. This is how I can help. And they come along and start helping you. And to me, um, this is how engineering projects eventually work. Okay. And as we get closer and closer to the timeline, the people put more and more effort into it to get it done. And, uh, and then, you know, we need to get governments also involved because ultimately it's we have to do things in scale. Okay, it's not just uh, governments, businesses like yours. You know, I mean, so-called. I mean, you're trying to create this uh, this momentum in the right direction. Beautiful. Hey, um, have a couple questions and comments here that I'd like to share. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so here's one. Somebody's asking about 
Can you elaborate one of the six deceptions, the natural cycle? Yeah. Uh, and I want yeah. to show that. Yeah, so natural cycle deception is, uh, say they say that some of the emissions are part of the natural cycle and don't count it. Okay. So I said, what do you mean you don't count it? Did we not, did we not do this ourselves? <laughs> I mean, the animals that we created and, and domesticated and brought back on, brought on Earth through forcible artificial insemination, we are saying they're part of the natural cycle. I mean, especially when we bring, you know, 12 times the equivalent biomass of wild animals that used to live 10,000 years ago. And they're counting it as part of the natural cycle. And I'm saying, what? You're saying the CO2 is part of the natural cycle, but the methane is part of the human cycle. How did the animal, you know, front hoofs are in the CO2 camp and they're part of the natural cycle. The, the rear hoofs are in the methane camp where it's part of the human cycle. I mean... The, consist the lack of consistency in the IPCC's conventions drive me crazy okay, because I'm a systems engineer. I want consistency in how you measure things. If you're honest about things, that's how you should be doing it. So I say all of it has to be counted. We have to take responsibility for, uh, for the bringing the animals uh, on this earth. We have to take responsibility for killing out the wild animals uh, and not pretend that the 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 breathing contribution of farmed animals are part of the natural cycle and the methane is part of the human cycle. So anyway, that's one of the six deceptions. So I have the list of six deceptions and I've written about uh, five of them already in the blogs that I wrote. Uh, I've elaborated on them and I'm going to be elaborating on the last one today you know, in the blog that I sent out today. Excellent. So um, we, we have a question, but before I, I share Ken, Ken's question, did you mm -hmm. say that by 2020, 2026, we eliminate all wild animals? Did I no, hear no. you right? Well, if we continue on the current course, uh, we are on track to wipe out almost 100% of them by 2026. Almost. I mean, you can keep a few tigers alive and pretend that they are not they're not dead yet, <clears throat> right. you know, few few animals alive, but that's not a viable ecosystem when you do things like that. Oh my so, god, that's yeah. Because we have been conning ourselves, you know. We have been saying that that thirty two percent of the forests are still left, but in reality, twenty three uh, thirty most of that is timberland, <laughs> and most of that is monocultures. Right. And so and, this is and... why, if you have to look at the biomass of wild animals, and that is the leading indicator for how soon we have to transform. Right? Yes. Amazing. That's that's just inconceivable for me. Um, all right. So we have a question from Ken Hamji. Uh, please say some more about how hunger is used to control people. Yeah. Uh, to me, hunger is a deliberate um, foundation of the current civilization. It's an industrial, global industrial civilization. It's based on domination. And um, hunger is used to make people do things that they wouldn't otherwise do, like slaughterhouse work or working in the mines, you know, or child labor for various things. And I mean, all these things, I mean, how do you make people do things they don't want to do? Make them hungry. And if they're hungry, then there'll be someone who will come along to do this job, right? And so, so that's why, even though, we have so much extra food. There's so much food waste going on. 
there's still 800 million people who are hungry. Yeah, we're 10% of the human population who are chronically hungry. And 10, 10 million people die from hunger-related causes every year. To me, it's part of the Holocaust that's been happening, continuous Holocaust that's been happening, uh, unnecessary deaths, right? And a lot of uh, deaths are unnecessary. And like, you know, uh, we are not dying of natural causes, really. We are dying of diabetes-related causes or obesity-related causes, which are also hunger-related causes, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Because to me, hunger is not about calories alone. It's about nutrition. Absolutely. 95% of Americans don't get enough fiber in their diet, you know. And another 90% yes. 90% don't get enough magnesium in their diet. So, I mean, there's so much nutritional deficiency and, and that's being used to control people. So it's not just yes. calorie-based hunger. I'm also talking about nutritional hunger that's used to control people. Right. So people are made to, you know, they're addicted to eating certain foods and then they're given pharmaceuticals for the diseases yes. that yeah, they yes. get from it. <clears throat> Well, I would also like to congratulate you. Uh, Linda Middleworth is sharing with us that you just won the Winsome Award from Philip and Trix Wallens. Congratulations yes, on that. I'm so grateful to them for honoring me, uh, honoring my work. Actually, it's, like, it's the work of climate healers, really. All of us won that award, yeah. Absolutely. And you have such an amazing community. And and uh, I mean, the things that are happening, I know Ken's involved in Chile uh, with, with hunger healers, uh, converting all those kitchens, community kitchens to be plant-based. Uh, right. What is it, like 3,200 kitchens around Peru that are yeah. community kitchens there? So just initiatives like that and uh, such an amazing community that, that, that you're... Uh, leader of and and have inspired so many people in such amazing ways thank you for that I'm so grateful. very much i'm grateful for everyone like i'm grateful for you and for the work that you do because to me you know he uh getting to a vegan world is like help it's about helping every one of us achieve our goals absolutely right? and that's why we have these vegan convergence of the peoples that we do every quarter <clears throat> the next one is happening uh end of this month april 29th and 30th and uh, we do that so that all of us can come together and create a positive feedback for our work. Yeah, Absolutely. Because, yeah, it's only when we help each other get better at what we do that we are going to succeed as a movement. Absolutely. And I, I urge everybody to check it out. These convergences happen uh, every quarter. And you can find them at climatehealers.com. Please, please join them. The most brilliant, most amazing speakers and and energy and the people who bring it together, the people who are participating are such amazing people. And thank you for, for producing that. And, and thank thank you to your entire organization to, to bring that together. Thank you. So, yeah. Well, let's see. Do we have uh, any other questions? We have a couple minutes left here. Um, and I'm looking, uh, the information you shared are, is absolutely amazing. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at uh, the cumulative CO2 information that you changed, uh, I shared. I, it's, it's just so amazing that I've never heard anybody really address that, uh, saying that it is cumulative and, and, 
and everybody's quoting the the numbers that are are current and additional numbers where we're adding into the atmosphere and and it's, right. it's really unfortunate that's such a big shift to to look at it to know that it it stays there for such a long time and it's cumulative and and yeah it stays there for such a long time if we don't bring back the forest okay that's the assumption they're making also See, when they say it stays for a long time, 10,000 years, they're assuming that they're going to continue deforesting the planet for 10,000 years because forests bring back the CO2. They take it out of the atmosphere, right? So that's right. A, there's an underlying assumption when they say that. And I'm actually mm -hmm. questioning the IPCC saying, how can you tell us that we will continue deforesting the planet for 10,000 years? I mean, yes. <laughs> what kind of solution is that? <laughs> what, right. <laughs> What kind of future are you modeling here, right? Yes. So that's so that's a modeling problem, right? I mean, they're modeling something, assuming that you're going to continue doing this. Yeah. And, yes. Uh, yeah. So my apologies. Yeah. I I invited everybody to climatehealers.com, and Rebecca points out that it's actually climatehealers.org. So my apologies for that. I'm supposed to have. I mean, th I think there's supposed to be a link from climatehealers.com to climatehealers.org. <laughs> if it doesn't work, let us know, and I'll fix that link because okay. we do own both sites. Yeah, both uh, climatehealers.com and .org. Beautiful. It. So uh, how how about the algae? Uh, cleaning up, up uh, the atmosphere and, and the impact of, of what the status of, of the algae is currently in our seas. Right. See, this is why I say when you start counting all of the natural cycle deceptions, if you need to take all those deceptions out, right, and you start actually accounting for it honestly, you will discover that nature is actually sequestering a whole lot of CO2 already from human activities. Okay. Nature is trying to heal. It's not only healing in, on land, it's trying to heal in the ocean. Okay? This is why when you stop being uh, bottom trawling the ocean, you know, we bottom trawl 4 billion acres of the ocean floor every year. You know, to me, that's, it's, uh, I mean, it's mind-boggling to me that the numbers, and at the same time, nature has been overcoming that because Earth is a self-healing system, just like our body is a self-healing system. Right? When you start doing the right things to your body, it heals. In the same way, when you start being, I mean, acting right on the planet, she heals. Nature will heal. So she's already trying to heal. And I'm saying right now they claim that the airborne fraction is uh, 45% because they're only looking this at the fossil fuel emissions and adding a little bit of land use. I mean, there's a whole lot of uh, accounting gimmickry going on in the IPCC that uh, to, to me, it's just uh, unprofessional from an engineering perspective. If any systems engineer came into my office and showed me that accounting that the IPCC is doing, I'll throw him out <laughs> for incompetence or deception, right? <laughs> so, so, but it's all about being honest, you know? And, uh, and I think the IPCC got stuck because uh, it's a political body. So they are overriding the climate scientists and the scientists. And it's a political body, and it all seems to be uh, based on the original 1992 declaration by President George Bush the first, saying the American way of life is non-negotiable. So he said that the UN. So everyone is trying to figure out how to make it non-negotiable. You know, <laughs> and I think it's. I mean, you don't negotiate with nature. You have to do what she wants ultimately. Okay, engineering is about alignment with nature. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, we the human ego cannot override nature. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, ultimately, I mean, all engineering is about overcoming your ego and saying, Mother Nature, what do you want? <laughs> Mother, <laughs> Let me make absolutely. sure that my, my product you know, follows what you're saying, right? Absolutely. Um, so um, one last question, a quick one here, uh, again from Rebecca. Uh, she's asking, is food food healers the best way to address the the, the tipping points, the, uh, the issue well, of the tipping? So to me, the food healers is the best way to uh, to force the system to to look at transformation. Okay, so it's the best way to uh, to tell the governments of the world and to the, tell the corporations of the world. You know, we know their game. And that we want to, we want, we are looking at different games now, right? So it's the best way to say that. Uh, but we also have to lay things out on the table and say, this is, look, this, what I just showed you, right? The presentation that I showed you. Please spread the word. Please spread the word. And because ultimately it's about convincing people that the system needs to be transformed and Absolutely. giving them a hopeful and path, pathway out, showing them there is a way out. Okay. Those are the two important things. Absolutely. Yes. Well, with that, our, our time is up. So if you have anything else you'd like to add uh, as final words, I, I want to express my appreciation. You're, you are so amazing and such a wonderful leader. And please, if you have a few other words you'd like to add before we sign off here. Yeah. Thank you so much, Peter, for hosting this. And I also want to tell people that, I mean, I'm, I am being led by my granddaughter. And so I'm basically, we are serving the next generation and the next generation afterwards. And we have a job to do. So, and I'm just an engineer working on this problem. Okay. And I'm, I'm grateful to be in this position. Thank you. Well, thank you. And something that I've learned from, from people in your organization that I use all the time is, is the vegan, secret vegan handshake, I call it. And that's namaste vegan. Yeah, thank you, Frank Lane, for bringing that to us. <laughs> All right. Th thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.